Welcome to the Renegade Report. It's another week, another show. Ramon? All is well. Jonathan, how's it going? Yeah, look, as I always say, can't complain. Or well, nobody cares if I do, so let's Indeed. carry on. I wish others wouldn't complain either. Yeah, Living well, a better country. There's, uh, there's a lot to complain about. We're actually collecting newspaper clippings for, uh, for our end of month show. Indeed. I think it's going to be a two hour show with the amount of moronic statements we've seen lately. Yeah, and some uh, well, some good news on on upcoming guests, Gad Sad, uh, which we've announced uh, coming on the on the show, and we'll be on his as well. Yeah. So we'll be experimenting with YouTube. Yeah, that should be should be good fun and quite interesting, and uh, looking forward to it. Very much so. But as for today, <clears throat> we have a very very important guest. Yeah. So uh, probably our most hope high profile guest. Uh, to, to date, he's, uh, he's looking at me uh, uh, questioningly. Uh, our guest is none other than uh, Moletti Mbeki, who's a journalist, a private, private business entrepreneur, and a political commentator, uh, probably known to many of you. Uh, he authored uh, the books Architects of Poverty, Why African Capitalism Needs Changing, and Advocates for Change, How to Overcome Africa's Challenges. And he's just released basically what is the third book in that sort of trilogy, uh, a Manifesto for Social Change, which he wrote uh, along with his niece, uh, Nobantu Mbeki. Uh, he was just telling us off air that uh, he's, the, uh, he's the social sort of uh, uh, commentator, the sociologist, and his, uh, his niece is the economist. So brings together a nice uh, combination. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. No, well, thank you so much for, for, for coming here, Mr. Mbeki. So if you could... Uh, very simply, what are you trying to? Which ideas are you trying to disseminate in in your in your book? Well, what we were faced with was the problem that we all South Africans are grappling with, which is the stagnation in our society. Uh, we have the highest unemployment in the world. Uh, we have very large levels of poverty. So we asked ourselves, what's the problem? What's causing all this? And uh, what do we think needs to be done about this? So that was the, our simple message, <laughs> our simple challenge that we pose to ourselves. Many people, of course, have uh, dealt with this particular issue. So we thought, well, let's give it another shot. You never know how it will turn out. Yeah, because there is a tendency for people to say, it's not good enough to just point out problems. You also need to point out solutions as well. For some, I, I think that's a bit false. I mean, you can point out problems without needing a solution necessarily for it. But um, so, so you wrote this book in conjunction with your niece, who I understand is a, a lecturer in economics, and you yourself said you're a, a sociologist. So why why employ the help of your? Well, not maybe she helped you with the book or you helped her who knows who the real author is but why ask her to to join you in well, writing this it was actually her idea oh. uh, I was uh, promoting uh, Architects of Poverty and Architects of Poverty was very popular with the university students so I had to do many presentations to the students and I had to find a way I had to package that 
uh, a presentation that was interesting for the students, uh, but succinct and to the point because you know students don't have a lot of time in, in the and they don't have a lot of patience either. Yes. So I developed a, a social structure of South Africa to explain how South Africa operates. So I came up with, uh, and it had to be on one sheet of paper. Right. So not reams and reams of paper. So I, I worked out the social structure of South Africa. I identified five social classes as making up South Africa. And these are the, the people who control the uh, political power that's, that I call the political elite. Uh, people who own the assets, the productive assets in our economy, the capitalists, which I call the economic elite, and then the workers who work f uh, in our industry, uh, the blue-collar workers, that was the third uh, category. And then I came up with uh, a fourth category, which is called, which uh, I call the underclass. Hmm. This is a huge number of uh, of our population who who don't work, not in the formal economy anyway. Uh, and then the last one was independent professionals, your lawyers, doctors, engineers, broadcasters, who work podcasters. for themselves, <laughs> podcasters, <laughs> who work for themselves. Uh, so those are the five. So when I showed Nobantu this, and, and I explained in, in this one sheet how the, these five social classes interact with one another. So she said, there's a book there. So I said, really? So, so she said, yeah, definitely. I can give you an outline of the book. So I said, okay, write the outline of the book. And uh, within a, two days, she wrote the outline. And I passed it on to the publisher, which is uh, Macmillan. And uh, they said, okay, guys, go for it. That's how the book happened. Yeah, and uh, I think that's uh, quite well illustrated in the book in terms of uh, you, well, you literally illustrate uh, the different classes and how they interact. Uh, you do mention that uh, the ANC is almost at war with poor black people who would be sort of the underclass. Um, but you also point to the fact that they still get a lot of the vote uh, from that group of people. Uh, how do you reconcile that, uh, that sort of fact, that, that on one side they're against and they're, they're fundamentally acting against their best interests, the, the best interests of those people, but at the same time they, they still receive overwhelming support from them? Well, the NC has done a lot for the poor in the country. Um, I think when the NC came into power, there was a a social welfare program of sorts that the, the Nationalist Party government ran for, for, for example, for old age uh, people, blacks over the age of 60. The NC has expanded this to en encompass probably a third of the population with child programs, disability programs. I think about 16 million people are on social welfare. So this is a huge intervention by, by the ANC government in support of, of the poor. However, it does not remove the poor from poverty. It does not ch change their social class position 
and actually it's, it's like a band-aid in real terms so they are grateful to the ANC for that uh, so they will vote for it but at a local level there's a lot of fighting between ANC local government uh, which is what we call service delivery uh, it's a generic term uh, so there is a they are living in shanty towns there's no water there's no sewerage and so on and so on. so so at a national level they they get the support from the ANC government at a local level they are not getting their needs being met or they feel their needs are not being met and that's where the conflict happens it has not yet happened at a national level because you make the point in your book that 64% of ANC voters are unemployed yeah. And that's a staggering number of people. It is. It's a very, we were shocked when we saw it. Um, so, so, so just yeah. for people who are going to sort of debate that uh, fact, uh, you know, that's statistical fact from the, the Statistician General? No, that is from Ipsos. Okay. Uh, they, are the one. They, they, they did in the last two general elections. After the elections, they conduct a big survey mm. to find out who voted for whom, for which party. And then they do a whole analysis of their social status, their education levels, and so on. So extrapolating from that, for example, do we know about the, the voters of other parties yes, in terms of employment? Them, like, yeah. for example, I would assume the DA has the most employed voters, yes, so to the speak. DA Firstly, the voter profile of the DA is almost exactly the opposite of the voter profile of the ANC. Uh, most, uh, most of the voters for the DA have passed metric, and many of them have uh, tertiary education level, and most of the DA voters are employed. Most of the ANC voters, as you point out, um, are not employed, um, many, many of them have not completed high school. Uh, only about 8%, for example, of ANC voters have tertiary qualifications, very small number. So that's the... the yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's a wide gulf between the two, um, which is... <clears throat> it's a bit troubling because, I mean, if if one is unemployed and votes for the same party three, four times in a row... What? Why do you think they do that? Um, is it just based on they understand that progress is slow and that the ANC is the best party to 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 give them what they need, or is it a a faith based vote that the ANC is all I know and I will stick with them through thick and thin? I mean, we, we're talking about general you know, generalities here. Yes, I it's a, actually quite a complex picture. Yeah. Uh, a large number of ANC, of the poor in South Africa are in the former homelands. Yes. So a big number of them are women. Uh, they are under the authority of traditional leaders, of chiefs and so on, uh, who allocate land to, the, to them to build their homes uh, and to farm if they can. Uh, and they are also quite traditional. They 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 are strongly influenced by religion. Uh, 
So the churches are quite powerful towards this point. So it's a very traditional community. Now, the NC is a traditional organization. No, indeed. It's been around for over a hundred years. So people <coughs> who are tradition bound, aspects of that tradition is the ANC. Right. An element of that tradition. So, so, so it has morphed into into a, a cultural yes. um, <coughs> a cultural space. Absolutely. The ANC. The ANC is not just political, that's a cultural movement. It is. For for its voters. And then it has this hugely high profile personalities like your Nelson Mandela's and so on. So it really has earned the that space as one of it's, it's almost like the churches. They are yes. the cultural building blocks of South Africa. Indeed. So let's go back to, to the, that structure that you set out for us, that those five different classes, so to speak. You, you argue, if I read correctly, you argue that structure has been in place for centuries. No, no, no. This, this is actually aspects of it have been in place for, right. for, for, for centuries, but others are new. For example, uh, the political elite... The political elite and the economic elite, the separation of these two classes, only happened in 1994. Yes. Before 1994, they were one and the same. Well, yeah, well the, the National Party was a highly crony crony uh, political party. I mean, so, so people who were in politics also were in business at the same time, and they ensured regulations were there to keep, uh, you know, monopolies uh, on the economy. Yeah, they. I mean, the National Party were landowners. Many of them had farms, had commercial farms. Many of them were business people. So there was no separation between the political authorities and the and the entrepreneur and the business community. Let me put it that way. In 1994, this separated. So that was a huge new development for South Africa. That really we are only beginning now to start to understand what the consequences of that separation uh, are, and and they are still evolving. Uh, one of the consequences, in fact, I had a, a meeting yesterday I had for breakfast with one of the richest men in South Africa. I won't tell you who, um, but he feels totally disempowered. Although he's a zillionaire, he feels that the government doesn't pay him any attention. He makes all sorts of suggestions about how to manage the economy, how to overcome poverty, how to uh, solve the country, how to stop the country drifting into becoming another Venezuela and those kinds of things. Uh, and uh, he just gets tea and biscuits from the politicians, and they don't pay. They carry on with their business. Now, in the days of the National Party, the National Party would have paid a lot of attention to that because their own economic interests would have been uh, affected. Um, yeah, you talk about sort of Venezuela and Greece. Um, you mentioned that in the book uh, and hinted towards the potential for South Africa to kind of head in that direction. Um, and... I, they're not listening to this gentleman you mentioned who, who you know, would be, I suppose, considered possibly white capital. Um, they are listening to other people who they do consider to be in their best interests. Um, is, is, is that just, you know, tough for him? It's, it's not his time or is it, is it, in your opinion, 
short-sighted not to be inclusive of everyone. No, I don't think they are listening to any business people, <laughs> black or white. All right. uh, they they just carrying on doing their own thing, which is running the state and some and paying themselves very high salaries, uh, and then some getting a little extra through the back door, uh, which is called corruption. But but generally, the the, the politicians listen to themselves, and they listen and they listen to their constituencies. As long as the constituencies that they have vote for them, why should they change their policies? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just it's very interesting to me. It's also with regarding to that vote because I, I see and and you do mention, as I said earlier in the book, you know that a lot of uh, the voters vote for them regardless of whether they they uh, you know get anything out. Now you've mentioned the local and national sort of discrepancies, uh, but. How long before there's some sort of awakening amongst certain of the sort of social classes that you've spoken about? I think we could argue, and we'll get into the middle class just now, um, but we could argue that the middle class are, are sort of awoken, uh, as they would say on Twitter, that, you know, they're woke. Uh, they, they, there would be huge argument that they are um, uh, all around privilege and stuff, but a separate discussion. Um the 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 real thing I'm wondering is those other classes that haven't sort of woken up to the the corruption, the cronyism, uh, all of the stuff that's happening. How far are we away from that happening? And 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 what do you think then results? Well, it is actually it has started happening. The breakup of Kosatu reflects this awakening. Uh, Kosatu has effectively broken in half into public sector unions, uh, which are made up of people employed by the government, like the nurses, the teachers, uh, other sections of the civil service, and the industrial unions who are led by the metal workers mm. who, who uh, stopped supporting the ANC. So that awakening has started, certainly, uh, with, with the trade union, with the trade unions, COSATU. Uh, has fractured already very, very deeply. Uh, the big business, I think, they realize that uh, they they are faced with, with, with serious potential uh, problems in our society, in the politics, in the stability of the country, and they shift a lot of capital out of the country. Uh, that's one of the expression of their ways of recognizing the problem is they move capital out of the country because they feel their, their, their assets are not safe, so mm. they are hedging. Mm. Uh, there, there was an article I was reading recently about how many multimillionaires uh, not have moved money out of South Africa to Mauritius, for example. I think they gave a figure of 3,200. These are very wealthy people who... Uh, are buying homes in Mauritius, mm. which then give them citizenship and or, access and, to everything. Yeah, and, and then you get countries like Portugal, Malta, doing the same thing. So that 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 is an expression of a recognition that something is threatening to them, and something is threatening to their families, to their assets, and and they feel uneasy. So there is that awakening. There are, of course. Businesses which can't move, they can move some money, 
But if you own a platinum mine, well, your platinum mine is in South Africa, and you have to 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 live and uh, and manage your risks and your challenges here in South Africa. You can't get out of it. So those are the the, the dynamics. The students, again, are another category that is very clearly dissatisfied. Uh, they have their rows must fall, their fees must fall, and various other things must fall. So you you are beginning to get a, a turmoil. And then the NC itself, remember the NC has broken apart twice, mm. first leading to the formation of Congress of the People, Hope, yeah. and then leading to the emergence of the economic freedom fighters. So... There is so the waking up, I think, is 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 quite advanced actually. So, Mr. Becky, I mean, we, we see waking up in terms of of members of the public, businesses, students, but it does not seem waking up is happening in the ANC itself. Is there? Why do you believe that? What what is the long term goal of having Mr. Zuma as as the president of the ANC? Other than I only see short term gain as as a goal, so to speak. I don't see a long-term strategic outlook, despite all these feedback loops saying what you're doing is is not helpful to people. So what do you think the, the ANC is, is playing? What, what game is it playing? Is it just there to, to take up as much resource as possible for itself? Or is there like a long-term strategic goal somewhere in the future? Well, you know, the democratic parties, parties in a democracy, let me say, they will tell you they have great strategies for the country, but actually their strategies are only five-year strategies. It's winning from one election to another election. Politicians just want to stay in power. Yeah, they want to stay in power, and their horizon is five years. Uh, it's the same with the ANC. It has a five-year horizon, i.e. we stay in power for five years, and let's do something that will make sure that happens. So we um, feed the poor as much as we can since they voted us last time so they can vote for us. But we can't send the whole economy into a tailspin because then we will lose the election because then we will not be able to finance the poor uh, during these five years if if we do like what Robert Mugabe did. And, and destroy the productive sector of the economy. So mm. they won't go as far as Robert Mugabe, but they, they, they have these kind of short to medium term strategies. I, I wouldn't call them long term strategies, no. Um, isn't some of though what the ANC does in terms of their sort of destructive nature? Uh, because, you know, as our president says, uh, they'll rule till Jesus comes. So if you truly believe that, uh, and I would assume that on some level he at least believes that the ANC will rule in, in his whole lifetime, which is probably a fair uh, estimation. Uh, then doesn't that sort of give you free reign to kind of do as you please because you know that no matter what you do, you'll stay in government? Well, it does. You know, it does give you free reign. But also, I mean, the, the ANC has a huge sense of entitlement, irrespective of how long, or the ANC leadership anyway promotes this sense of entitlement that it's a black party, the black people were oppressed for 350 years, and therefore 
it's their turn to eat, so to speak. So uh, there are all those dynamics. That, 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 that word entitlement, that's <clears> been quite a controversial word. Um, it was said by an economist, and it's, he lost his job over it. Oh, did he? Uh, <laughs> Fortunately, uh, I'm not employed by them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but can, maybe you, were, you can expand it. I mean, you've said a bit about it, but you want to talk about that a bit more, not as, a, as an insult, which people necessarily take it, but as how it holds us back. Yeah, no, no, it's not, it's not really an insult, uh, and it's not intended to be a, a denunciation. Uh, like like everybody else, I mean, if 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 you go to the United Kingdom, uh, people fought a war. Let's say the Second World War. Uh, after the end of the Second World War, the first thing they did was was throw out Winston Churchill who was the prime minister who led them mm. very ably to fight the war. To victory. But, and to victory. But after they then said the conservatives got us into this problem uh, and, and we, we must be compensated. So the compensation for, for, for the, the, that they felt entitled to was, for example, the National Health Service mm. that was created in Britain after the Second World War was to compensate Sate the population for the effort it, get, it it put into into defeating the Nazis. So being entitled is is not necessarily a wrong thing, but it's entitled to what, and how do you get it? That's where the problem is. All right. So if we say you know it's fair to say that every South African is entitled to a decent shelter, uh, uh, you know, to live in a decent home, to be able to uh, have a job. Uh, those are all fair entitlements. There's nothing wrong with, with making those statements. It's how we get there. Yes, it's how we get there. Well, I mean, all those socioeconomic rights are in the Constitution. Yes, they are I in mean, the Constitution. I mean, so you are, yeah, we court, accept the entitlements as part of our rights. <laughs> I mean, even in, in the case called Grootboom, which is a yeah. constitutional court case on housing, the court said you are entitled to decent housing. Yeah. I mean, it was a bit misguided because they said only if the state can afford to, obviously, you know, yeah. give you... Uh, housing. So, Mr. Mbeki, so we've ident- well, you have identified quite a few problems with with politics, business. Uh, people are very unsure. What what solutions do you propose in the book? Like, let, at least economically, you have proposed a few. Let's start. Well, we haven't actually got any economic solutions because we feel that the the, funda- the, the fundamental driver of uh, of South Africa's problem is in the social structure, not in economic strategy or economic prescriptions. You see, when you dispose, when the owners of capital lose control or are moved out of political control or have very little political say, there are differences between all this, but when they, when they are deprived of political say, they have they feel insecure about their assets and that and that is one of the fundamental problems of of, of what happened in 1994 we we didn't see it as a problem at the time because uh, mandela was a very accommodating president uh, he listened to everybody he even visited mrs Fairwood. so so he was a very inclusive person and very so Although the owners of capital in South Africa lost a lot of political influence and political power, 
they didn't feel threatened uh, during the Mandela era. Uh, and in any case, during that time, it was more like completing the constitutional negotiation, putting in place institutions like the Constitutional Court. Uh, the economic issues were not uh, very prominent. Secondly, the, the, the removal of the sanctions allowed the South African economy to, to grow very quickly. And in, in that time, it grew. This is the so-called post-apartheid dividend that happened, which actually did, did happen. However, this was just the beginning. The point is that the, the owners of capital, having lost political power and being so removed from political power, started to feel insecure once the political period, the economic period, started to lock in. Uh, in the, you know, after the Mandela era. So the, the government had to address more and more. And then the, the infighting within the ANC over economic policy. If you recall, uh, in the 90s was the beginning of the infighting between Kosato, the Communist Party, and the ANC leadership over growth, uh, which was called gear, but growth, uh, something, yeah. <laughs> something policy. Uh, so these started to come up to the fore. And then the ANC's uh, Bible, which is the Freedom Charter, has a clause there about nationalizing the commanding heights of the economy. So in the disagreements within the ANC, this started to come to the surface. So the owners of capital were saying, hey, these guys could come for our companies and so on. So that's, so that's where the, the challenge lies is how to reincorporate the owners of capital into the political decision-making environment in the country. Let's, that's one of the first yeah. issues. Let, let's okay. So that's a potential solution. Can we just uh, get your definition of who the owners of capital now are? Because what it was in 1994 and what it is in 2016 are obviously different. Uh, and I know. You know, you you created some waves, uh, certainly at the literary festival where where you launched your book. Um, so, who are the owners of capital in 2016 in South Africa? Well, actually, it's a very interesting uh, finding that we were very surprised to find out ourselves, the authors. Uh, we designed the social structure of South Africa, uh, but we didn't have any numbers first, and we didn't have any race breakdown. So we went to see the statistician general to ask for help because obviously he has all the information about uh, the population in this country. He liked the challenge. Uh, I, he hadn't seen before as a social structure like the one we had uh, come up with. Uh, so he put his team to work to, to see how how many people of what race and what have you belong to its social class. Anyway, if you look at the back of the book, there's a very detailed uh, description, uh, statistics about who belongs to uh, what social class is divided by race, is divided by, uh, by income. So if you look at uh, the, the statistician general concluded that the top elite in this country, whether they are political or economic, 
earn a minimum of 60,000 rands a month. That's the lowest. And then, of course, as you, as we know, with the zillionaires, we, Goes like up. the mine CEO, mining company CEOs, they earn 40 million, you know, Sorry, it's 60,000 a month. Yeah. And then yeah. it goes up to the sky. In that group, when you look at, at that group, he broke it down by race and he broke it down by public and private sector. Uh, we were very surprised to see how big a number of black people are in that category. Okay, it's a very small class. Jointly, there are only 105 thousand people mm. who are in that income group. Sure. But a big number of them are black and a big number of them are white. If you look at the group earning uh, over 60,000 a month, uh, who are in the public sector, you have African, black African, 9,800, colored, 2,400, white, 7,900. This is the top end of uh, in the, in government, in the public sector, right, and in the parastatals, and they add up to twenty thousand. So out of twenty thousand, seven thousand are white, seven thousand are white, seven thousand nine hundred. Okay. If you go to the private sector, you have twenty seven thousand who are black Africans. You have six thousand who are colored. 4,600 4, who are Indian, Asian, and 46,000 who are white. So if you take the combined black uh, population, which is African, colored, and Indian, you actually get about roughly 30, yeah, you get roughly uh, 30,000, 30, and you get 46,000 white. So there's a huge number of blacks who are actually very high income earners in the in the private sector. But you have a significant number of whites who are high income earners in the public sector. So when you look at the top elite in South Africa, they are actually racially integrated. Well, that uh, goes very much against the narrative, doesn't it? It does go against the narrative, but that's the reality. I mean, I didn't write, work out those numbers. The statistician general worked out those numbers. Yeah, uh, and I think uh, you know that that will interfere with uh, with with a lot of uh, uh, election or, campaigns. Well, basically, we're saying white monopoly capital doesn't exist. Is that well? Is that yeah, what it, we're saying? No, it, it, well, white it, capital it, exists, but maybe not monopoly <laughs> capital. Well, you know, but but the, if if we have thirty thousand blacks in the private sector earning over sixty thousand. Uh, th then what do we call them? You know, so, so, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> so the, you see the language of South Africa, the vocabulary is falling behind the reality. Yeah. Unfortunately, really uh, unfortunately important. people look at things in a, in a binary fashion. Yeah. It's either, it's either, um, white monopoly capital or it's either, you know, black people only or it's white people only. It's, it's never just the nuance. You know, well, the nuance I, I got hammered by, by the blacks on, on Twitter, on social media, for saying the whites don't control the economy of South Africa because they want to believe that they are being discriminated against. 
and, and therefore, and that the whites are still discriminating against them and that the whites control the economy. So that's an, a comfortable narrative. The reality is the South African government controls the economy. It fixes the interest rates. It demands if you make profit as a business person, how much profit you keep, how much the government takes that profit and gives it to whoever it likes. So that's how you control the economy, which is why when the rating agencies come here, they rate the government. Indeed. And it's economic performance because they are the people who control the economy. But I was very struck and I, I didn't realize that that's that was the response I was going to get when I made a comment. It was really a by-the-way comment that the, the, the whites don't control the economy or something. Because it, it surprises me in that it, it's actually a good story to tell. It is you know, a good story. Uh, this black, is black, one of, black people maybe are getting you should richer. To Jacob, you should be an advisor to Jacob Zuma. No, no, please, please, no. But you're sharing that. I think Cliff Central should get a new job as advisors to, to Jacob Zuma. <laughs> That'll be grand. But what, do you, what, what the stats show is that black people are moving up in the economy, they're earning money, they they participating in the economy where they weren't allowed to merely 20 years ago. I mean, it's, it's a good story to tell, but some people say, oh no, how dare you say that? <laughs> it's, it's an odd thing to think that, um, that, that the government has changed, but the economy hasn't. That, that, that doesn't work well in my mind. Of course the economy has changed and there's a stats to prove it. We, we're very big on, on data and facts on this uh, podcast. And here's some more showing that the narrative Remains the is, old one. Is completely wrong. Mm. Yeah, the narrative is wrong, mm. but but many people like the <laughs> the wrong narrative, and there's a lot of education to do. Uh, and of course, they. You see, one of the reasons why the narrative, the wrong narrative, is perpetuated, uh, is because they don't want to uh, to face the class, the social class implications of this because now if we no longer have racial exclusion we have class exclusion and those figures are showing the class exclusion yes the blacks are in in the top income earning brackets and so on together with the whites and the indians and the colors uh, but but they are only that top group 0.4 percent of the working age population so it uh, it shows that the inequality in South Africa is very high. But the blacks are also in the top elite so of this income inequality. In of essence, this our obsession with race is, is becoming more and more irrational. It's becoming more and more a cover-up of the, 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 the class inequalities that, that have emerged in South Africa. I wanted to ask, though, you did mention in the book uh, a white tax. Uh, you mentioned that the TRC had spoken about it. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, Peter Blanche. Yeah, and and um, well, I mean, and also uh, Desmond Tutu has also mentioned it. Uh, not for the last few years, but he, he did. He did a couple of years back mention it. Are you still in belief of any type of tax like that aimed aimed specifically at white folk? And also, how if you were. Would you know how would you advocate that um, based on a tax based on no, race no, and free market capitalism? Okay, all right. I just wanted I, to get your, st- your stance on it. No, no, no. I I don't think that's a, that will solve our problems. So I didn't. Uh, I I mentioned in the book 
that uh, Sam Peter Branch, who, uh, who's an eminent economist at Stellenbosch University, had come up with how to address in the short term anyway the, the problem of, of inequality and the problem of poverty inherited from, from, from the pre-94 era. So this is the, the proposal that he had put on the table. He felt it would go some way to, I don't think so myself, but that was his, but we were reporting on what he said. Uh, all right. So, so you're, you're. If sorry, if I may butt in. So we've spoken about the elite classes, those earning over 60,000. Now let's look at the middle class. And I actually have the correct table in front of me this time. So in the public sector, there's, there's a total of 20,000. Um, so the no, data. No, you're is, still looking at the, yeah, the one below that. So the data oh, yeah. is between 11,500 a month and 60,000 a month. So that's the, the margins. So in the public sector, we have 550,000 black Africans and 108 white South Africans. So, and in the private sector, we have almost, almost 700,000 black Africans and 600,000 white Africans. So in total, in the middle class, you have 1.25 million black Africans and 705,000 whites. Which, which is still um, not in line with the exact demographics, but oh, yeah, it's yeah, certainly yeah, a massive not, change. But, but, it's a, but, but it's a huge change. But the yeah. middle class in South Africa is predominantly black, yes. which is against the narrative once again. Yeah, of course, the, which stands to reason the black, <laughs> the of course. blacks are 80%. I mean, the black Africans are 80% of the population. Yeah. So they would... They should those, be represented they in the economy. Be, yeah, in those categories, but, but they, they should are. be. The, and they are. The. Yeah, unfortunately, what happens is in, in the underclass table is where you find the, the big difference. Oh, yeah. Ten, 10 million black Africans, 284,000 white Africans, about 900,000 coloreds, and about 150,000 Indian Asians. So that, that, that 10 million underclass black Africans, that is where the real problem lies. And one, and you argue that's been a permanent feature for yes, a very, very long time. Yes, that, that is really what, what migrant labor did for South Africa. The, the setting up of the mining industry, which is why you, you said before we started, uh, we are saying nothing has changed in 300 years. Uh, the migrant labor system destroyed peasant agriculture. And that is the consequence of the destruction of peasant agriculture, is this 10 million underclass, because now they are totally out of the economy. They are not in any product. Whereas if we had retained peasant agriculture, they would still be producing for the market in, in peasant agriculture. Right, but, that, but that's where property rights come into effect. A whole multitude of issues come yeah, into yes. effect. But, like, yeah. but predominantly, these are the sort of people who are, you know, the, the state owns them in a way because they don't actually give the land. They don't own the land on which they live. Yes, they do. I noticed though a few days ago that uh, King's Wellington has said that he's, uh, you know, he's owner of the Inguyama Trust. Trust, which controls nearly three million hectares uh, in KZN, uh, which is about I saw about sixty percent of all land in KZN. He said he's introducing a reform whereby the residential part will now be privately owned and 
titles will be issued to the owners so that they can get mortgages and so on. And somebody even mentioned that now in Kandla, the infamous Nkandla estate, uh, we will now really be privately owned, the land on which it stands, and uh, not owned anymore by Ngonya, uh, Ngonyama Trust. So there are changes that are, that are happening there too. Um, yeah, you know, Ramon talking about all these things that sort of open up the economy. Um, and BE has done absolutely nothing for that underclass of people. Um, and you, you, you mentioned BE in the book, uh, and you, 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 I think the word you used was the kind of rabid adherence to, to BE. I don't know if that is, is a correct quote, but, uh, you, you seem yeah. to, you seem to be, um, um, quite specific on your view on it. You, can you tell us about well, that? Well, you know, BE benefits the ANC politicians. They are the people who benefit from BE. But they, ironically, they didn't design BE. BE was designed by the big corporations. In fact, it goes back to, I think, to the 1970s, to the setting up mm. of the Urban Foundation mm. by uh, Anton Rupert and Harry Oppenheimer. Absolutely. Uh, and that was to help create the black middle class. That was the theory at the time, uh, which was a buffer uh, against the the hordes, so to speak, between the hordes and the zillionaires at the top. And and they still support it. Oh, oh, yes, but it it got translated into today's BE policies, that that concept. Uh, And they did pressurize the National Party, for example, to... to, uh, to change the Group Areas Act, uh, and so on and so forth. So, so that's where that BE, that's its history, where it comes from. And what are the, the consequences of, of contemporary, you know, BE legislation on people? For, for me, it, it's, it's, state capture is a big word, you know, bandied around these days, but this is one form of it. It's, it's nepotism. You, you give, you give, like, uh, do you remember one stage, cabinet ministers had 50 directorships on different companies. Yeah. One person yeah. was the director of 50 different companies or was on the board of 20 different companies. That's not broad-based. No, it's not. No, it was never intended to be broad-based. It was intended to buy off. Remember, when the ANC came into power, it was made of these former prisoners, former refugees, uh, from our rebels, from the townships and whatever, who had a very anti-capitalist sentiment. They saw the capitalists as having been collaborators with the apartheid regime and so on. So, so, so the, 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 the capitalists thought to themselves, we have to do something about making friends with these guys. So they threw some money at them uh, and uh, free money, by the way. So, so, there aren't many people in this world who, who when free money is thrown at them, will run away from the money. They, the guys took the money. Yeah. Uh, there was a company called New Africa Investment Limited, Nail, which was the free money, which was set up by Sanlam, uh, Metropolitan Life, and IDC. And they took ANC leaders and made them shareholders. You didn't have to buy shares. You, you were given shares. Yeah, IDC gave you a loan to nominally buy those shares, but you didn't have to pay the loan back yourself. 
the company, which was Metropolitan Life, had to pay back the money to not yourself, but you got the benefit. So it it was a a very smart kind of buying off. So, so, it, was, of so it was giving the carrot to people in in power or who are about to come into power to leave the corporates alone. Yes, as that much as was and it, it has worked, hasn't it? Oh, very All much so. the figures show that it has worked. Oh, interesting. Okay, I mean, I don't yeah, know but that. But if you are in underclass world, it doesn't work for you. But it has worked for those guys. Yeah. So the underclass has been left behind in the dust. Yeah. Let's change tack a little bit. Um, you mention and you talk about in the book, and and your your niece. Let's get her involved in this because uh, <laughs> she, she shouldn't be immune. I'm, not uh, I'm sure she can stand her own ground, <laughs> though. Uh, but you mention uh, our sort of alignment as a state with non-democratic regimes. And, you know, we also spoke earlier about the Constitution and uh, you almost treat it as a sacrosanct document, um, you know, it, it, as a guiding sort of force in the country. But do you think it has that respect amongst politicians, amongst the majority of people? Certainly it's a liberal uh, document in a country which is quite conservative. So... Uh, it's <laughs> no, I don't think South Africa actually is conservative. I, I think South Africans are, are very conscious of justice uh, and fairness. <coughs> and the Constitution embodies all those issues of justice and fairness. And then its instruments, like the Constitutional Court, have lived up to it. I mean, the if you had a survey of how many people uh, wanted to retain the death sentence, you would probably find a huge number wanted to. Yeah. But the Constitutional Court said this form of punishment doesn't jibe with the Constitution, so it has to be abolished. Nobody was, There wasn't even one person who went out demonstrating against the Constitutional Court. So the people, the Constitutional Court, that this is not a fair and a just form of punishment and it was acceptable and it is accepted accepted by the population today so i don't think the south african population is 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 conservative there we have conservative elements of course like in all society but but on the whole i think uh, the population in south africa is quite open-minded is quite liberal-minded all right, and the the sort of alignment you mentioned with non-democratic regimes. No, but this is government. No, I, yeah, no, no. I, I, so it wouldn't be the, the people. people. No, it wouldn't be the people. Yes, but. I mean our government uh, protected Robert Mugabe, for example, yeah. in crushing the 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 MDC, the opposition party. They supported him and turned a blind eye and compelled MDC to go into. Into a coalition government mm. with Mugabe and endorsed the election and endorsed the election. You were when very clearly the judges who the government itself had sent there said this was not free and fair. But an ANC team went there and wrote a, a, a judgment that uh, don't worry about it. The people have spoken. That was the word they used. The government delegation, mm. but of course the judicial officers who were sent there are independent, so they, they wrote a, a report, and the government tried for 20 years to cover up, to hide this report. Yeah. So, I mean, this is part of a bigger problem, which is almost becoming louder on a daily basis, this this 
opposition to the West, inverted commas, and, and this almost, uh, to me, what appears to be an irrational hatred of countries like the USA. Uh, why do we want to be best friends with Iran and Russia and enemies with, with America and the United Kingdom? Well, you, you shouldn't forget that, you know, the Soviet Union armed the ANC. Sure. It trained a lot of ANC people. Uh, there, there were lots of communists in the ANC. They still are. Uh, who, who, <laughs> who, who love uh, nationalization, who, who hates the West. Uh, although they forget that actually we communism is a Western invention too. Karl yeah. Marx was a German. Yeah. So, so they, they are all those uh, dynamics that you have in South Africa. Yes. So you, you have a very influential group in the ANC, which is the Communist <laughs> Party, uh, w- which does not believe, it believes in its so-called Vanguard Party. It does not believe in, 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 in being elected, which is why it is not standing for elections. It, it wants to, you know, to dictate to the, South, to the people of South Africa rather than to stand up and be elected and compete with other parties. So these are all the dynamics that, that you have which make up our politics. I mean, we saw yesterday or the day before in the, 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 the response of our foreign ministry, the international yeah, the terror alert. You've come yes, under the criticism ter- for what did you what did you say that upset so many people? When <laughs> no, I didn't say anything about the terror alert. No, what upset people was that was what I had said before at, at okay, Franschuk, which was that the wise don't control the no, 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 no was, there's a new scandal on. Oh, Twitter. is there? No, no, <laughs> no, no. You said I, uh, something about the. I'll try find it. You said okay. something about the U.S. terror alert. But where what do you where do you stand on that? No, no, I'm saying that. The, the, you see now the gun, government is tripping over itself. One arm of the government saying, no, don't pay any attention to what the Americans are saying. The other arm is saying, the Americans are our friends. We, <laughs> we, we, we share security uh, concerns together with them. So, so again, there are contradictory trends. So one has to be careful about generalizing because this this response shows the the, the split already within the answer so or the mis that one faction believes one thing another one believes something else and so but this this is this is a, a maturing process i mean the ANC is not hasn't reached its final form so to speak uh, it's it's always very difficult to be a liberation movement to morph into a political party that takes a long time, and some people, some parties never do. As we've seen in, in in the rest of Africa, Mr. Nkrumah and all that, they never lasted long. Mr. Um, oh, I forgot his name in the Congo. But, yeah. Yes, yes, but it's a maturing process. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, but, but but however, sorry if I may. Do you think that we should have matured already? Maybe like ten years ago, or or are we still finding? Or is the ANC itself still finding its feet? Well, you know, the ANC is an old party. It, it was set up uh, in 1912, so it's more than a hundred years old, so that's one advantage. Uh, the other advantage is that it spent 30 years in exile in other African countries, seeing wh- what people like Nkrumah were doing, what, uh, Kenyatta and Kaunda and others, yeah. what they were doing. So, there is no excuse for not knowing. 
but uh, from not having learned from the experience in those countries. So you you would think that uh, you know once once your brother came into power, they should already have you know found their form and and had a a, a goal orientated strategy yeah, for for, for decades. Example, the so called triple alliance. Now, how can you be both a government and an opposition at the same time? It, it just doesn't make logical sense. The Communist Party wants to nationalize the economy and do this, that, and the other, and not have elections, have a vanguard party of the Soviet model. Now, the, you have them in the government as allies of, of, of the ANC. Now, to, to an average person, this just shows confusion. Uh, and even worse, giving those communists very, very high-profile jobs in the cabinet. Trade oh, yeah, industry, no, no, but finance. He, he does I buy mean, the welfare. So. I mean, these are very important jobs, and you give them to people who still believe in the labor theory of value. Yes, but you know, Pravin Gordon is opposing <laughs> with Jacob Zuma. So, so Jacob Zuma, you know, he's now regretting giving this communist this high-profile job. <laughs> he's trying to get rid of him, but the financial markets won't let him. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting point. Uh, and you, you mentioned in the book the consumption revolution. So we've got a couple of minutes. Let's kind of end off there to talk about the consumption revolution. Yeah. You see, the, so where South Africa is with this massive underclass, our main focus has to be in, in investment. Not the massive salaries that are being paid to the top of our society and in promoting this, this uh consumption rather than investment. Mm. Consumption must come from creating mm. employment. Mm. So, uh, from, from creating production and promoting production. So, that is one of the huge problems of our, of the economic policies of South Africa. This South African government's economic policies behave as if we are a developed country. Uh, developed countries like Japan, US, UK, mm. they have high consumption. Their, their economy is driven by high private consumption. Mm. But those people are hugely productive. Yeah. We have a and low skilled employed. economy. Yes, they are employed and they are very highly skilled. So there's a huge surplus that they generate. So you can have a consumption based and a consumption-driven economy. We're nowhere near that. And if you look at the Asian economies who understand this message, they are not consumption-driven. China is investment-driven. India is investment-driven. And that's what South Africa should be doing. All right, so stop uh, stop burning the cash that you don't really have. <laughs> yes. That's why you then start borrowing. All right, so... Uh when is the blue-collar revolution that you speak of coming? No, no, no. We didn't speak <laughs> of a blue-collar. We, we spoke of an underclass revolution, uh, not a blue-collar uh, revolution. Did I, did I, did I miss that? No, the blue-collars are appeased. They've got jobs already. You <laughs> yeah, must be worried about, jobs already. You must be worried yeah, about no, the jobs. No, our revolution is the underclass revolution. Yeah. That's what we advocate. And, and if... The, if it's coming, so is that part of, is that the EFF, for example? No, is no that... the, the EFF is, is a middle class party. So, so, <laughs> so they... <laughs> They'll love to hear that. Absolutely so, love to hear so that. So we, what we advocated was that the underclass must form an alliance with the capitalists. 
in order to grow the South African economy. That is really our uh, proposal. If we can I mean, it. Uh, it would be great if we had a party that was unabashedly capitalist, a political party that was unabashedly capitalist. The slogan would be, we want black people to be rich or something like that. I think it would be a great addition but, but this to, to what we have. Alliance with the capitalists would be indeed, yeah, because its priority would be to create jobs and grow the economy, create more entrepreneurs who employ more people, and so on. Well, I think, if but, you, but yeah. you can't really get a Donald Trump in South Africa, <laughs> given our history. <laughs> you can't know. No, yeah. well, I don't think he's capitalist anyway, but yeah, he's a bit of a crony. Well, yeah, he's a crony, a crony capitalist, not really yeah, a, yeah, a true capitalist. <laughs> yeah. No, he is a real capitalist. But it would be good to have a, a grassroots capitalist party that, that goes to, to the underclass and says, <coughs> we're just going to remove all the restrictions you have to, to be gainfully employed or to start your own business. You know, people, the, the black economy in terms of the black market economy is actually quite it's actually quite um, alive and well in this country, but we don't see it because they don't pay taxes, they're not registered, they're not. Well, like they don't the do a whole lot of things. Industry, indeed. Or oh, township they, economy. Uh, yeah. There was a good book yeah, written about well. that as well. But but these are not really underclass. When we're talking, is that you're talking about rural rural people yeah, rural in traditional people areas? Of those and. Not township, but outside the township, yeah. because the shanty towns are not really t- in the township. They are outside the town. They are on the edge of the township. Okay, so we must ensure that they participate in the economy. Others, they will be the ones who come and. Uh, oh, definitely. Throw everyone up. And I would if I were one of them. <laughs> I would come and bend down the soil. Yeah. No, I can imagine. <laughs> Please do not take that uh, literally. <laughs> uh, I think we've had enough burning down. Uh, unfortunately, we've. Uh, We've we've uh, used our time up. Um, thank you so much for, for for joining us. Well, it's great to be here, and thanks for the conversation. Yeah. yeah well, the pleasure is all ours. I mean, I'd, as Jonathan and I know, we we've read the book. Uh, very very interesting, and it's got some data in it, which is extremely important in this narrative age of sentimentality. So, do you know? Take a look at it as I'm sure your perceptions will change about yeah. where we are. Not just opinion based, but there's, uh, there's, you know, actual facts and, and data to, to, to back it up. Um, whether you agree or disagree, that's, that's fine. You can take, you can take your, your, your position. Uh, Mr. Mbeki, thank you very much for, for coming in today. Uh, are you on Twitter? Not on Twitter. Um, probably better that way. Uh, I used to recommend people get on there, but uh, I would I would highly recommend against it at the moment. Um, you can obviously buy the book available now. Yes, the book is in the bookshops. Yes. All right. So uh, let's uh, let's let's get that book on on the shelves. Uh, let's get it off the shelves and into your homes, uh, because there's some real rubbish selling on the shelves as well. And this is this is this is uh, wor- worthy of your purchase. Uh, that's it for the week. Uh, oh, sorry, a manifesto for social change. Uh, am I am I correct? Uh, yes, it's called a manifesto for social change. How to save South Africa? Ah, there we go. All right, so a manifesto for social change. That's it for the week. Ramon doesn't want to say anything more. Believe it or not, he's speechless. Uh, uh, and her sinusitis. Uh, this is the Renegade Report. You can find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore Report. Uh, you can find myself and Ramon there I'm sure you know how to by now Facebook, Renegade Report Give us a like if you don't mind If you're listening to this 
uh, on iTunes. Please rate us. And we will see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Cliffcentral.com.